wow, God. I just want to say, wow, God, what a day. Today we begin our countdown to Christmas with a brand new series, Wow, God. And we want to welcome everybody who's connecting with us, not only in our physical campuses here in South Florida, Kendall campus, Gables campus, but across the nation, around the world. This is a wow, God kind of day. You know, every day is a gift from God, but if ever a season were, if if ever a season deserved a wow, God, it's Christmas. I mean, Christmas, think about it. Christmas has inspired so many things, countless songs, remarkable art, incredible literature, paintings, decor, songs, I mean, and all across human history, like Handel's Messiah with its unforgettable Hallelujah Chorus. You like that? This is awesome. You know, if you don't know him, Handel was a superstar. I mean, he was the rock star of his day. Uh, His image may look ancient, but let me tell you, Beethoven thought he was the bomb. You know, people talk about, uh, like, he called him the greatest composer of all time. People call quarterback Tom Brady the GOAT, greatest of all time. Beethoven says, Handel is the GOAT in musical composition, and it was because of his work on the Messiah, and that's no small praise. Smithsonian Magazine says this, it is a musical fixture of Handel's Messiah, a musical fixture of the Christmas season. Woe to the concert hall in the English-speaking world that fails to schedule it during Christmas. Listen, it was written 276 years ago and in Victorian England and ever since has enjoyed an unbroken performance tradition. Every year, one choir has even invited people globally to join in a real-time simulcast experience where you can just PDF download of the score and join in. Handel wrote that score, by the way, 259 pages of it. 259 pages in 24 days. Now, I don't know what you get done in three weeks' time, but uh, he wrote 250,000 notes in this score. That's 15 notes a minute for three weeks of 10-hour days. On the timeline of history, Handel towers as a musical giant, and it's because of the Messiah. That is a Christmas wow God. And when you stop to think about it, so much of what we believe as Christ followers is wow God. And Christmas is the centerpiece. It is not only our belief that there is a God, wow God, but that God loves us. We believe God loves us. And God doesn't just love us. We believe God so loves us that he came into our world in the person of his son. Wow, God. Born of supernatural conception to a young Jewish virgin. Wow. Wow, God. I mean, this is amazing. I look at my new little grandson and, uh, oh, look, there he is. I look at my new little grandson, and I try to imagine, what does it mean that Almighty God made himself known as a newborn baby boy? This is heady stuff. Wow, God. 
that there is a creator, God, there is a God, creator, sustainer of all that is, who makes human beings, the crown of creation, as image bearers of the divine. And God loves you. He loves you as a person created in his image, as a free and responsible moral agent in the world. And yet part of a race that has been deceived into abusing our freedom and like Humpty Dumpty had a great fall. And ever since the mystery of iniquity, that's what it's called in Scripture, the mystery of iniquity has been at work in our world and we've been suffering from it. Jesus, something Jesus called sin as the long line of prophets before him did. Sin. Sin means missing the mark. It, means, it refers to any word, thought, or deed that falls short of the glory of God and, um, and doesn't reflect his image in the image we bear. And that has scarred our history and has scarred us personally. Sin. Now, whatever you call it, by whatever name you call it, sin is a reality that nobody can escape. But listen to this. We believe... Here's a wow God. We believe it is impossible to out-sin grace. Where sin abounds, grace in Jesus Christ much more abounds. Now, God is just. God is righteous. God is holy. But God is love. And that means God refuses to let sin have the last word. He has come in Christ because he loves you. Wow, God. No fake news here. God tells the truth. Unrighteousness and injustice is real in our world. We all fall short of the glory of God's high purpose for our lives. There is such a thing as sin, but God doesn't let sin have the last word. Wow, God. That's how Christmas came to be. That's why Christmas came to be, as a response to the sin problem in my world, in your world, in our world. Our world is in a mess. We're in a mess. But God has not given up on us. Wow. Now, what's the biggest mess you've ever seen? You know, here in South Florida, you ever been to Mount Trashmore? Maybe that's the biggest mess you've ever seen. I mean, tons and tons and tons of trash heaped up on top of itself in one part of our county. And I see it every time I drive by it, every time I ride my Harley down to the Homestead Speedway. I can see it, you know, and all those birds kind of vultures flying around it. And if you're downwind, whoo, I mean, you know, you know you're close. What's the biggest mess you've ever seen, the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew or some storm. Maybe uh, it's a, for you, it's not a physical so much as it was a financial mess, the recession of 2008 or some other economic disaster. Maybe one of the political messes, the many political messes that we've seen, or the mess of militarism in our world. In Beirut, when we were there on our mission team, we served refugees uh, Syrian refugees who were from Aleppo, you know, that's been called Syria's most dangerous and deadly city. They were there when it was being blown away. I mean, they saw their homes blown away before their eyes. 
What's the biggest mess you've ever seen? Maybe for you it's not a national war. Maybe it's more of a personal thing. Maybe it's a family crisis, you know. Maybe the mess that you're looking at is how do I handle my three-year-old? How do I, uh, how do, what do I do with my parents who are fighting every day? Or you're a parent, you're wondering, how do I help my kids? My kids are getting a divorce. Or maybe it's a mess of personal identity. You know, you don't feel valued. Men, you just don't feel respected. Ladies, you don't feel appreciated or loved. You know, it's a mess. Your, maybe your mess is that it's hard to have a good life at home. Or maybe it's the mess of stress at work or school or the bills or juggling a life of study in college as you're trying to come up with a decision about your career and your future. Whatever, we all know about messes, don't we? One morning years ago, uh, when our girls were teenagers, we came out of our house to find the three giant oak trees in our front yard all draped in toilet paper. Uh, When a neighbor asked why it happened, we told them, oh, it was a status symbol, you know? Uh, But what I was thinking in my head, really, I was thinking, wow, what a big mess. Rain was in the forecast. We're going to have to get all that, get up, get it down before the rain. What a mess. We've all had them. Maybe you're in one now. Wow, God, what a mess. The reason I'm bringing it up today as we begin the Advent season and our countdown toward Christmas is because the Christmas story begins in a very unlikely place, in a mess, in a mess of a world. And we're going to go back. I want to take you back to Isaiah the prophet. He lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus Christ. He's considered one of the greatest Hebrew prophets. He's quoted at least 50 times in the New Testament and, uh, and had much to say about the coming of Messiah. In fact, Handel uses his words in his musical, The Messiah. But if you lived in 700 B.C., you would have reason to say, wow, God, what a mess. Let me bring you into it a little bit. It was a dark day. The first chapters of Isaiah tell us that it was a time of tremendous cultural upheaval. There is crime and violence in the streets. There's hypocrisy in the temple. There are people. Immorality is commonplace. Superstition is everywhere. People are so impatient of waiting on God that they have started to consult mediums and spiritists. And many people are calling evil, evil, good, and good, evil. Morality is upside down, in other words. Isaiah says that the people are heroes at drinking wine and champions at mixing drinks. Those in power are crooked. First five, six, seven chapters of Isaiah, they acquit the guilty for a bribe. They deny justice to the innocent. It's a day of the golden rule where those who have the gold literally are making the rules. And for those, and dozens of other reasons, God tells Isaiah, judgment is coming to the nation. In fact, I mean, it is a dark, dark day, and the Assyrian beast will soon be devouring Israel militarily. What a mess. Wow, God, what a mess. And chapter 8 ends like this, verse 22. They will look toward the earth and see only distress, darkness, 
and fearful gloom. And they will be thrust into utter darkness. And yet, chapter 9 begins with these words. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the Gentiles. Know anybody who came from Galilee by the way of the sea along the Jordan? Now, I'm not bringing this verse up, but I want you to hear, because these words will probably be familiar to you. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. Verse 6, to us a child is born. To us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This prophecy is about Christmas. What It's like God is saying, I see your mess, and I'll raise you Messiah. The consequence of sin is coming. Sin will not have the last word, though. God says, I'm sending a Savior. I'll see that mess, and I'll raise you Messiah. Now, in 8th century B.C., world population was about 800,000 people. Life expectancy was 26 years of age. Now hold that thought and let's get into our time machine, travel some 700 years forward in time, okay? The year of Jesus' birth. Now, it must have been a bright, happy time, right, to host such an epic, incredible, influential event. Well, let's see. World population estimated 300 million now. If you made 10 years old as a child, you could expect to live into your 40s. The Roman Empire, now stretching from Portugal in the west to Turkey in the east, Caesar Augustus has just been enthroned as the first Roman emperor. BBC Research says it was a slave society where history reports slavery required the systematic use of physical punishment, judicial torture, and spectacular execution. Brutality was systematized to make the Roman Empire work. Pagan gods are tolerated on every hand and on every corner, but the cult that was enforced by the power of the state was the emperor cult. Worship the Caesar. Women are illiterate and kept that way. They're not considered equal to men. Before the law, no equality. They have no right to vote. They have no formal role in uh, public life. Men have absolute power, absolute power over their children, whether they live or die, whether they are disowned or sold as slaves. Around 25% of babies don't survive, one in four. Two of four babies don't make it past 10 years of age. They die before they age to be 10. And into that world, baby Jesus was born. Under the oppressive boot of the Roman Empire, but also under the loose cannon of King Herod in Israel. And it's like God is saying, I see your mess, and I'll raise you Messiah. Now shall we get back into the time machine 
and let's travel to the year 1740 A.D. That was the year before Handel wrote the Messiah. Now we have 800 million people in world population. Must have been pretty world, amazing world environment, right? To be the setting for such a towering artistic achievement as Handel's, right? Not so much. Life expectancy now is 38 because of infant mortality. If you made it to 10 years old now, you could live to be 58. That's something. But what's happening in the world? Well, let me tell you a few stories. In 1740, right here in Florida, a British force of 1,000 men were laying siege to St. Augustine. It was Spanish-controlled Florida, Spanish Florida in that day. October of 1740, anti-Chinese sentiment, anti-Chinese riots were breaking loose on the Spice Islands. In fact, an entire Chinese district was burned to the ground, including 10,000 Chinese in that fire. 1741 in Lower Manhattan, there are fires burning as well. The news story said a 16-year-old Irish girl accused of theft testified that poor whites and blacks are burning the city, plan to kill the white men, take their women for themselves, and then elect a king and a new governor. Two slaves confess to setting that major fire, and they named dozens of co-conspirators in it. 152 blacks are arrested, 20 whites. A Catholic priest is charged with instigating the plot. Most of them are convicted. Most of the convicted are hanged. Some are burned to death. 72 are deported. That's the new world in 1740. Now, travel to 18th century England, that same time period where Handel was, Handel's world. England, in 17th century, or 18th century England, excuse me, parents of unwanted children could just leave them out on the street. And every morning, a horse-drawn cart would come to collect their bodies. Street children who had frozen in the night or who had died of disease or malnutrition. Listen, that was Handel's world. In his personal life at the time, he was considered a failure. His father discouraged his musical career at every turn. And by 1741, you know what? He was bankrupt. He was depressed. And one article said he could curse in five languages. And yet, in the middle of that mess, he composes the masterpiece, the Messiah. It's almost like God is saying, I see your mess, and I'll raise you a Messiah. Now, are you seeing my point here? I mean, what am I trying to say? Our world's a big mess. We're in a mess. We inherited a mess. We're still making a mess. (laughs) Wow, God, what a big mess. Maybe you've heard the saying, history repeats itself. I was taught that one of the reasons history repeats itself is because human nature is constant. That means history will not change unless human nature changes. The New York Times reports that over the past 3,400 years, humans have only had peace, 268 of them. 8% 
of the time. That means 92% of the time we've been at war, and our timeline shows a world in a mess, and we've just put the dipstick down in three places. What about today? Well, world population is almost 8 billion, and the World Health Organization says global life expectancy now is 72 from birth, which is something. We're living longer, aren't we? But if statistics are accurate, it seems that everybody still dies. You know what? What a mess. It was a really big mess when God foretold Messiah would be born. The world was in a mess. It was a really big mess when Messiah was born. It was a really big mess the year Handel's Messiah was written. And you know what? You may feel like your life, your world today is a really big mess. So what? So here's the what that the God of Christmas says. I see your mess, and I will meet you in Messiah. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Emmanuel, Isaiah said, is what he would be called. God with us. Wow, God. This is our belief. God sees our mess and meets with us, is with us in Messiah. This is our belief. It's like a pearl on black velvet, like a jewel in the mud When things are at their worst, God still meets us with his best in Messiah. And that means for you, for me, for each one of us, there is no darkness so dark that God can't light it up. There is no sorrow so deep that God can't bring healing and meet us there. There is no sin or stain so desperate that God can't cleanse it. There is no pain and no problem and no mess so big that Messiah can't meet you there. God will meet you there in Messiah. He loves you. You matter to him. Every day can be a wow God kind of day. You're that valuable to him. And today as we begin our countdown to Christmas, I want us to join together in a time of prayer. Actually, I want to offer a series of prayers and invite you to join all of us together with this response. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Hear our prayer, O Lord. So I'll voice a prayer and then we'll join together in saying those words and I invite you to join me as you would feel comfortable. Father, you know the mess our world is in. You know how deeply we need your grace. So we seek you now with all our hearts. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We remember how you ask us to cast all of our care upon you because you care for us. And so we are bringing our burdens to lay them down. Hear our prayer, O Lord. We also remember your promise. If my people 
who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Then will I hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Father, hear us as we pray. We need you. We're seeking you. Meet us now in Messiah. Lord Jesus, forgive our sins. Fill us anew with your spirit and lead us that we might know the blessing of your will. We pray in your name. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Now, as our worship response team comes on each of our physical campuses, I want to remind you, friends, when we find ourselves in a mess, We don't hide from the mess. We don't simply try to insulate ourselves from the mess. We pray. We don't say, it's no use. We don't say, oh, the mess is going to take us. No, we look to Messiah with hope. We look to Messiah to meet us. Why? Because of Christmas. Because of Christmas, we're a people of hope. And right now, Our worship response team has come. And I'm inviting everyone who will come on our physical campuses, those of you joining us online, we invite you to engage in our prayer time as well. And even now, you come as we sing.